Thanks for being here with us today. We are grateful that you would join together with us. Hopefully as you came in, you got a little, um, everybody got a little seed packet. If you didn't get a seed packet, you can get one on the way out, and I'll explain that later so you know what that's all about. If you are a visitor here with us, hopefully you got another uh, brochure that tells you a little bit about our church, and in there, if you can open it up, there is a place for you to fill it out and take it to the resource, the wall of books, the resource center, and we would love to give you a free book in exchange for that so we can know how we can bless you, how we can answer any questions you might have. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. We are nearing the end. There's about four more um, messages on the letter to the Corinthians we've been going through over the last many months, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and this is uh, at least the second part of Paul's treatise really on the resurrection, and today we're going to look at the resurrection body. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, we're reading verses 35 to 49. This is God's holy, inspired word for us today. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another kind. There's one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection from the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we need your Holy Spirit God, we are, we are always desperate for your spirit, whether we realize it or not. And Lord, I am especially aware of, of my desperate need for your spirit to be able to communicate your words effectively. Lord, I'm aware of the need for your spirit for all of us to be able to hear from you, to receive from you, for this word that you plant in us to be made alive and to spring forth and to bear fruit. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would do that. Would you bless this time? Would you... Make your word fruitful as you promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the topic of what happens to us after we die is not just an old topic that people 2,000 years ago wondered about and that now we in the scientific age that we live in no longer care about. No, it's relevant today still. 
There was a 2021 study that was just done towards the end of last year, post-COVID, to to figure out what have people's beliefs about the afterlife and what happens to our bodies after we die, what has been affected. And they found that 83% of adults believe that, well, things happen to us that are beyond the explanation of science or natural causes. 73% of adults professed a belief in some kind of heaven and only 62% believe in hell. But a quarter of American adults say they don't believe in either. 7% say they believe in an afterlife where one's spirit or consciousness or energy lives on after the physical body has passed away in some kind of blurry, continued existence or some kind of alternate dimension or reality. 17% of respondents believe in neither hell nor heaven, but they think that maybe there's some kind of cyclical experience. People come back, they're, maybe they're enlightened after death, they don't know exactly what happens. And then while most adults believe in heaven, there's a disagreement about who can go there and what are the qualifications, what will it be like. Only about four in ten say that people who do not believe in God can go to heaven. And about a third say that non-believers cannot enter into heaven. Only a third say that non-believers can't enter into heaven. And, And about a fourth say that unbelievers can. It's shocking if you consider that 60-some percent claim to be Christians. 33% of all U.S. adults believe in reincarnation. Of professing Christians, 58% say that many religions can lead to eternal life. And only 13% of those who profess to be Christians say that Christians alone enter into eternal life in heaven. There's a lot of confusion out there. Confusion abounds, questions abounds. This topic is still relevant today for most everyone that you encounter. Wonders what happens to us after we die? What happens to our bodies? What kind of bodies will we have? Belief about the resurrection, it matters. Not just in the life to come, but also for how we live our lives today. If this body doesn't matter, then how we live doesn't matter. If this body doesn't matter, we're either going to be escapist or hedonist. But if the body is seen as important, then how we live in the body, what we do, the choices we make, how we treat other people in the body, it matters, and it matters to our daily hope. And so Paul here, he is is addressing the Corinthian church really with three realities about the resurrection because there's much confusion about the resurrection. They came from this, this Greek background that said that the body doesn't really matter at all. And they thought that, you know what, when we die, the the great hope is to just shed this shell and that the real us has nothing to do with our bodies. And Paul says, no, that's not the case whatsoever. That our bodies are important. And so he tells us three realities about the resurrection. He tells us that the creation testifies for the resurrection. So he gives us some illustrations from creation. He tells us about seeds and bodies and the stars. And so then in verses 42 to 44, he tells us that transformation, though, it's necessary for the resurrection. So creation testifies about it, but a transformation is necessary for the resurrection. And then the third thing that he tells us is that a rebirth must occur. Not only only is creation testifying to it and transformation necessary, but a rebirth has to occur for the resurrection to be possible. And the background for these passages is Paul's been writing to the church in Corinth and he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he says, for I delivered to you what was of first importance, what I also received, he says, that Christ died 
for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And you might think, yes, I know that. That's important to the gospel, that Christ died for our sins. And it says that he was buried, that he was, though, raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You see that his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection are all equally essential to our hope. They're of first importance. So what we believe about the resurrection is of first importance. But some in the church in Corinth were saying, well, there's no bodily resurrection because the bodily resurrection is really just not that important. And Paul says, no, it's of first importance. Along with the death of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, it's of first importance. And so is our resurrection of first importance. If there is no resurrection, there's no hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, he said, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And so some people were asking, well, Paul, whatever, you're saying the resurrection is important, but we know that the body will rot. We know that the body dies, it decays. We've seen what happens to dead bodies. It's not pretty. And what are you going to say, that that's reanimated? Is that possible? How gross would that be? And so they're asking this kind of sarcastic question. They're, they're not asking, is the genuinely want to know? They're asking this, how can the dead be raised? With what kind of body, Paul? Because it doesn't seem like a physical body can inherit a spiritual kingdom. So tell us what kind of body. And it doesn't seem like a corrupted body can can inherit the incorruptible. And so Paul says, you're right. But the resurrection is true because creation testifies to the resurrection. And he answers him kind of strongly, doesn't he? He says, you're a fool. The ESV kind of it tempers and says, foolish person. But really, the, the, the original language says, you fools. They are mockingly asked, if, how are the dead raised if our bodies have been decomposed past recognition? as they've been returned to the dust. And Paul says, don't you get it? You don't even understand the basics of the creation around you because all creation testifies to the resurrection. That's what he's telling them in verses 36 to 41. He's saying, just look around you. Creation, it testifies to the resurrection. And he gives a bunch of different illustrations about that. I remember the first time I planted seeds in, in my own kindergarten class. The teacher gave us these little cups, and she gave us a, a thing of soil, and she handed us a little packet of seeds, and we would plant the seeds in the cup, and then we, we took the cup with the seeds home, and we would water it every day. We're supposed to put it in a windowsill and watch and see what happens. And then I remember the, the amazement that came over me when I, when I watched from this bare seed, it sprouted, and I think she gave us a bean, actually, was the the seed that she gave to us because um, this, this seed kind of cracked open and then it sprouted and came to the top and the shell of a, of a bean just kind of hung out and then eventually it fell off and this, this sprout grew. And, and I remember being amazed that this green vine could grow from this ugly brown seed. And, and Paul gives this illustration to the Corinthians and we have a picture here of of the different process of germination, that all the way from seed to sprout. When you plant a seed, it doesn't look like very much. It doesn't look like what results in the end. And that's what Paul is kind of saying here to us. And that's why I've got a, hopefully you've got some seeds for you. I want you to take them home. Oops, hopefully they will grow. I'm not sure. They're, 
They're from Dollar General, so who knows how valid these are, but, but take them home. And this is to remind us of the truth that in all around us, God has given to us illustrations of, of his resurrecting power, of his ability to take something that, that falls and dies and transform it into something else. And so Paul tells them, he says, you're skeptical of the resurrection, but the natural world around you, it, it testifies to that. It's plain to observe that the, the seeds that we plant die in a way. They, they are no longer seeds. They, they lose their original form. Yes, the, the DNA within them survives in some way. The DNA is transformed, though, into something entirely different. If, if you came across a bunch of seeds having never seen seeds or been told about them, and, and maybe, maybe there's a store of seeds that you came across, and you find these little drawers, and each of them has a different name and a number maybe, and, and you think, what are these things? And so you, you put them in soil, and you want to see what happens. And then out of each one of these different kinds of seeds, different kinds of growth occurs. You'd be amazed because what results from a seed is not what the seed looks like, right? And Paul says that's an illustration of the resurrection. So why is it hard for you to believe that God can transform the seed of a dead body into new resurrection life after death? And God's not limited. See, God is the one who all around us each and every day is making seeds fall, fall to the ground, he transforms them. This, this God is the one who brings death to life each and every day. And Paul says, look around you all the time. God is working his miraculous work in, in all of nature around us. We just take that for granted. And Paul says, look around you. It testifies to the, to the fact of our resurrection. He says in, in verse 37, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Just this naked kernel, that's kind of like what our bodies are, that are sown. They're a naked kernel, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But he says, God gives it a body that, that he has chosen. Our bodies are like seeds. They aren't what they will be. We get confused sometimes, and I think our hopes of the resurrection are too low. We think that, you know what, we're just going to be just like we are now in the life to come. And Paul says, no, you misunderstand. And all of creation testifies to something different. It testifies to the fact that, yes, you're going to have some resemblance, just like a seed. It has some bearing on what results, but, but really what results is so much better. What results is so much better. You know, when I, when I try to think of what will life be like, will I recognize people? I don't, I don't know, but I think God will enable us to recognize people, but not because we're going to look the same. And that's really hope-giving for me. There's many flaws and ailments and weaknesses that I am aware of. It says, but God gives a body as he has chosen. And then he gives some more illustrations here. He says, to each kind of seed, its own body. He says, not, not all flesh is the same. And he gives more illustrations from nature. And, and notice he gives a list here. And it goes from humans to animals to birds to fish and then to heavenly bodies. What is he doing? He's actually reversing the order of creation. He's saying that, that all flesh has, has a different kind for everything from humans. Humans are suited to live in a certain kind of environment. And, and he says that, that animals are suited to live in a certain kind of environment. And, and fish or birds, they're, they're suited to live in a certain kind of environment. And, and all of creation testifies that, that God has given different kinds of bodies to live in different kinds of environments. So not only does creation testify that from a seed is new life born, but it also testifies that different bodies are suited to different kinds of environments. And so Paul wants us to see that 
that just like our earthly body is suited to living here on earth, our resurrection body will be suited differently. It, it, would, it would be like um, the difference between a bird's body and a fish. You have, could you imagine a bird diving into the ocean and then all of a sudden deciding to try to breathe air from water? It wouldn't work. It wouldn't be possible. A transformation would have to happen to that bird's lungs. Or a fish. Can you imagine taking a fish out of the water, throwing it in the air, and then, and then hoping that somehow that fish would then fly and be able to breathe air? No, a transformation would have to happen in many ways. It would need an entirely new body if it was to fly. A bird would need an entirely new body if it was to go into the water. Just like we will need an entirely new body. And he says that there's all kinds of bodies. And and God's able to raise up a new body, just like the illustration of the seed shows. But not only that, different kinds of bodies are suited for different kinds of purposes. And so he tells about heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is another kind. So he's saying that our earthly bodies are glorious, but, but our heavenly bodies will have a different kind of glory. Just like Jesus has a different kind of glory. He, he lives in heaven. You ever think about that? He, he's not living the same way he did this life here on earth. It's not the same kind of body because his earthly body is not suited to heavenly living. And so he's saying that, that creation testifies to that, that there is a resurrection, that, that Jesus himself has been resurrected. He has a heavenly body now. And, and then he says, there's, he gives us some illustrations here. And if, you, if you're not following Paul's train of thought, you might get lost because he talks about the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and the glory of the stars, how it differs from each kind of star. And, and, and don't lose sight of the main point he's trying to make here is that God has created different kinds of things based on whether they're in earth or in the heavens. And so he says, really, that that each heavenly body, each earthly body is is perfectly suited for its environment, and creation testifies to the resurrection because of that. It testifies to the fact that, that we need a different body. We'll need a resurrection body, because if we're to live in heaven, in God's kingdom, his eternal kingdom, we're going to need an eternal heavenly body. And our bodies are going to have a heavenly glory that's distinctly different, although it may have some similarities. Maybe that husk of a seed is a good illustration for the kind of similarities that our bodies might have. But they're not going to be merely recycled earth bodies, and I'm really happy about that. They're not just merely recycled. Although our earthly bodies will will go on, they're going to be transformed into a body that's entirely appropriate for living in heaven. And Paul says, all creation, it testifies to that. But not only is creation testified to the resurrection, he says that, that, that transformation is necessary for the resurrection. And, and, and creation points to that. We, we need a different kind of body. We need to undergo a transformation. We need to undergo that transformation from this seed form that's sown into the, into the ground. We need to undergo this transformation from this earthly body into a heavenly body. And so Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. That's what he says in verse 42. Transformation is necessary for the resurrection. He says, what's sown is perishable. And we know that, right? We know that not only when we're born are we perishable, and that one day all will die. 100% of everyone in this room one day will die. Unless the Lord comes back first, that's the only caveat, all of us one day will die. We're perishable. We know that. We feel that as you age, you will become more and more aware of your perishability. When I was younger, I thought that nothing could hurt me. Now I have a lot of aches in my body because that's my approach to life when I was a young man. I did all kinds of dumb things thinking that I was invincible. But no, our our bodies are perishable. 
But here's the good news. He says transformation is possible. It's necessary, but it's possible because what is raised is imperishable. There has to be a transformation to occur, though, in order for that to happen. To go from being perishable to being imperishable, a transformation must occur because all of us can see that. Our bodies, like seeds, they die, they're perishable, they're corruptible. And he tells us that when we're raised with Christ, our bodies are going to be imperishable or incorruptible. Right now, though, we know what it is to have corruptible bodies, don't we? Who here feels the corruption in your body today? Like, who feels that? Who's aware of that? Our bodies are able to be corrupted by disease, by illness. Because sin has entered into the world, we experience those side effects of, of just this fallen world that we live in, this, this corruption of our, our very DNA because we've inherited the DNA of our, of our father Adam. We're capable of death from all manner of illnesses or diseases and causes. The corruption and the weakness of our body, it testifies to our need to be transformed, doesn't it? If you are here today, you are in some way aware of the fact that our bodies need to be transformed. We can't live like this with God. They need to be transformed. We, we are perishable, but we need imperishable bodies. And I can't imagine what that would be like fully, but I can begin to imagine. And I think Paul wants us to begin to imagine what that will be like. He wants us to begin to imagine because, because really there's hope not just in the life to come but also for right now that, that we can endure whatever illnesses or weaknesses or suffering that we have in this life knowing that, that one day our bodies will be transformed. It at least means that all the effects of sin will be erased from our bodies. Won't that be cool? In whatever way sin's corrupted our natural body, in whatever way our, our, our current body is tainted and warped and corrupted by sin, our resurrection body will, will be reborn, transformed. It means no corruption in our minds, no, no ailments of the brain, no depression, no mental disorders, no, nothing broken with our brains, nothing that warps our thinking. Oh, that transformation is necessary though, isn't it? No problems with our moods or perception, no Inabilities to learn or remember things. No, no cancer, no disease, no ailments, no more rheumatic arthritis, no sickness. All the mutations that have been introduced in Adam and Eve will, will be gone. Everything functioning, everything working properly and perfectly in our bodies in every way from all of our organs to our eyes and limbs, perfect eyes to see clearly. Last night I was studying, I took a break, I walked into the family room, I looked at the TV, I couldn't really see what was there, I, had, I didn't have my glasses on. I was like, man, I was reminded that, that I need to be transformed. Our body's weakness, our body's perishability, it testifies to our need to be transformed. One day we'll have an ability to hear perfectly, no constant aches and pains, no fatigue, the ability to function in every way is God's design. But I think that just scratches the surface. You see, in verse 43, he says, it's sown in dishonor. He says it's raised in glory. Not only will we be lacking all of those bad things, but we will then be transformed in a way that's, that's glorious. Just like, just like when you plant a seed of whatever gisophila is. I don't know what that, that seed really is. It's some kind of pretty white flower. 
gypsophila. Um, when we plant this little black seed in the earth, we can't imagine how glorious the flower is. And so we need to be transformed the same way because one day we'll, we'll, be, we'll be transformed from being perishable to imperishable, from being corrupted to incorruptible, from dishonored to one of having glory and beauty, sown in weakness, raised in power. And the word that dishonor that the apostle uses, it's it's used to sometimes refer to the rights of, of citizenship. When, when somebody would lose their citizenship, they would be dishonored. And of course, if you think about a body, a, a corpse, it has, it has no rights. There are also less honorable parts of the body. Paul has been talking about that in Corinthians. He says there's, there's less honorable parts. But you know what? When the whole body is dead, the whole body is dishonored. The Jewish law declared the body is unclean, is defiled. In every way, a dead body was, was dishonorable. And ever since Adam and Eve experienced the, the shame and guilt of sin, our body's been sown in dishonor. But he says that even though our body's going to be sown in dishonor, we're going to be made new and raised in glory before God. Don't you want that? Can't, don't you long for that day? When we, buy, when we die, our bodies, they're devoid of strength. They are sown in weakness, the epitome of weakness, the inability to sustain life. He says, but will they be raised? They'll be raised in power. Not a power that derives from us, but a power that actually is the power of the risen Christ. We need a resurrection body, don't we? We need a body of a different kind in glory. And so he tells us that. He says, he says there's, there's good news that, that just like this, this strength of a mighty oak, it, it, it sprouts from a comparatively small, weak seed. And in a similar way, the resurrection body will, will be raised in power, not having the same limits. as sonar natural body, it says in verse 44, is raised a spiritual body. Your body will need to be transformed so that it can be perfectly suited to be a spiritual or heavenly body. To be able to do things like we see in Scripture when, when Jesus, he had a he had his, his physical body, but it was transformed. He, he could apparently walk through walls. He could appear in a room. He, he would ascend to heaven. There's, there's many things throughout the course of Jesus' appearance that in some way that we're going to be like him. But in order to be like him, like that, we need a transformation. In order to, to live with a heavenly body before God, we need a transformation. And so you have to ask, well, how does that transformation occur? If, if creation testifies to the resurrection, if, if this transformation must occur for resurrection, then how does it happen? How can we share in that? And so he tells us, he says, a rebirth is necessary. A rebirth must occur for resurrection. A rebirth must occur. He says, look in verse 45, he says, Thus it's written, the first man became, Adam became a living being. He received life. He became a living being. And he says, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Christ is the last Adam. He's a life-giving spirit versus the first Adam who was a life-receiver. Adam's body was made for living on earth. He was life-receiving. He was the first of the race of humanity. His characteristics have been imprinted upon every human that's been born afterwards. But God the Son came to earth as a life Giver, as God the Son, Spirit, became flesh. And now he says that all who believe in him have life, new life in him. And he's the last Adam that, that Paul is referring to. He is the life-giving Spirit. So the question is really, if, if you see that creation testifies to the need for resurrection, that, that resurrection is a reality, that we need to be transformed, have you experienced 
this new life? Have you been born again? That's what, that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus when Nicodemus says, how, how can I be born again? What do I go back into my mother's womb? And, and Jesus tells him, no. This happens, we don't know, this happens by the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit for all who place their faith in Jesus Christ, all who place their faith in, the, in him for the forgiveness of sins. And for those who have become like Christ, who have been made new in Christ, there's been a spiritual transformation. You can't see it. But there's a transformation that's begun on your inner man that you've been given a new spirit, just like the spirit of Christ came. And then, and then one day, that spirit, it resulted in resurrection life. So too, if you receive the spirit of Christ, then you too, one day, your body will become resurrected. And the final trumpet sounds when, when the dead in Christ will rise. In that interim period, we're going to find out a little bit more about this next week. In this interim period, we go and we're with Christ and we long for the day when, when our bodies will be resurrected and then one day all bodies will be resurrected. All who place their hope in Jesus will be resurrected in him. But now his characteristics are imprinted just like the DNA that we shared of Adam. His, his characteristics are imprinted on all those who have been born again and resurrected to a new life through him. That's, that's the assurance that we have. If you have been given new life in Christ, then, then you have an assurance that this life, you can live this life through the power of Christ right now. You can say no to sin. You can demonstrate his power in how you live. His resurrection power is at work in you now, even though you don't see it. His resurrection power is at work in you now to overcome sin, to say no to temptation, to testify to his goodness, to, to live in a manner that, that shows people that you love Jesus no matter what happens to your body and that, that points the way for others to trust in him. Your life now matters and how you live matters. It also gives you hope for the life to come because you know that you have the, the life-giving spirit of Jesus in you. And so he says it's not the spiritual first, but the natural, then the spiritual he says that the Bible tells us that the God formed Adam. He says from the dust of the ground. He originated from the dust and then God breathed life into him. And then it says that the eternal son of man, he was spirit. He originated from heaven. He was born of the Holy Spirit as a man. And he said, so just like we were like the man of dust, if, if, you have, if you're a human being, you've been born just like the man of dust, Adam. That's what he's saying. But if you've been born again, the reality is that there is a new birth that's occurred within you, a spiritual rebirth. That's the genesis of, your, of the resurrection to come. And, and as he says, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And how are we of heaven? We are of heaven if we put our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, for the payment of all the wrath of God that we deserved, for the new life that he promises to give to us. And then God does something miraculous. He gives us a new life in him. And so that as is the man of heaven, as is Jesus himself, currently so also are those who are of heaven. That's each and every person here has been born again. The amazing thing about the resurrection of believers is that all those who are in Christ are those who are of heaven now. That's true for you. That should give you hope. You are those who are of heaven even though you live here on earth now. And we're just waiting the day for when our bodies will be resurrected too. 
Philippians 3.20 tells us this, this truth. It says, uh, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we really have citizenship. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, this is not maybe, this is not we wonder, this says who will transform our lowly body to be like his current glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Not by our power. You see, it's not our ability to resist temptation. It's not our ability to, to, to live a moral life before God. It's, it, it's not being moral that will get you to heaven. No, it is a, it's only a rebirth. It's only a transformation that happens through rebirth that guarantees our eternal destiny. And our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. Look at verse 49. It says, just as we born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. To bear an image, it can have, it can have a couple different meanings. It can mean like a, a coin, where you have a coin that has a, an image of a leader or maybe a, a president. Or it can mean something more exact, something like uh, that's so like the original that it reproduces. And that's what it's meant here. We will bear the image of the man of heaven. We will be a reproduction of Christ in a sense. We will bear his image in every way so that we become like him fully. And isn't that the whole point of the Christian life? To be made more and more like him and that points to the reality that one day we will be fully like him. And isn't that good news? One day we'll be fully like him in every way. Fully perfected. Fully like him in our bodies. We're all descendants of Adam. We're born of Adam. So we born the image of the man of dust. We're like our earthly parents who've reproduced like Adam. And all who've been born only once will die twice. All who've been born only once will die twice. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that if you've only been born naturally, you not only will die here, but afterwards you will die a spiritual death. Forever. If a person has been only born of Adam, they're destined to die twice, to die a physical death, then to die the second death, the eternal death of the lake of fire that it tells us about in Revelation. See, in Revelation 21, 8, it tells us, it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, wait a minute, go back, the cowardly, the unbelieving? Anybody who doesn't believe. In Jesus, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's the second death, but it doesn't have to be that way. He tells us that all who are in Christ are of the man of heaven, will have a body like the man of heaven. All who have been born twice, born of Adam, and born again in Jesus, only die once. If you've only been born once, you die twice. You've been born twice, you die once. That's what he's saying. See, God's promised that all who place their faith in Jesus, they've been made new in Christ. They've been born anew in him so that our true life, he says, is hidden with Christ. So we experience life here and now and we feel like this is all there is. And he says, no, your life here and now matters because it testifies to the fact that your true life, it's hidden with Christ. It's secure. It is kept perfectly for you. No one can take it from you. All who are truly Christians, a resurrection of life is going to be revealed in that last day. He says in Revelation 26, that blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. 
but they will be priests of God and of Christ. Well, how do we share in that, in that first resurrection it's talking about? We share through believing in the resurrection of Christ on our behalf, believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and so that now we too have a part. We've been given his spirit, and so our life is hidden with him, and we can be guaranteed we will only die once. Revelation 2.11 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Is the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. How are we conquerors? We're more than conquerors through being united to Christ Jesus who has conquered death and in him we place all of our faith. In the same way we like you born Adam's image will bear the image or be reproduced into the likeness of Jesus when we're resurrected in Christ. Just as the, the eternal son of man was a spirit first and he lives forever, so too are all those who follow after him. If you're aware of the needs in your body to be transformed, there's good news. If you are aware that, that our bodies are like seeds that die, there's good news. There's a transformation that he promises that, that creation testifies about. That can happen through the new birth. Are you living in light of that new birth? If you're a Christian, are you living in light of the new birth each and every day? Are you living in light of the, the resurrection power that's at work in you right now to be able to resist t- sin and temptation no matter what happens in your physical body that he will sustain you because you have resurrection life in you? And are you aware that this life is not all there is though? That one day, one day he will redeem us in every way. He'll resurrect us in every way. One day all who place their faith in Christ alone will be fully like Jesus. And the question that remains for all of us is, are you aware of that and are you placing your faith in that? Are you placing your faith in Christ alone and his resurrection power? If so, there's hope for this life and the life to come. Let's pray. Philip, go ahead and come up with a worship band and we'll, we'll pray. Father, thank you for your word that you tell us is like seed that you water. I pray that it would bear fruit in our hearts and minds, that you would give us a longing desire for our resurrected bodies, but would you also give us assurance of our resurrection, and would you also give us assurance of the fact that that your resurrection power is within us now, and we don't see what we will one day become, but Lord, your power is at work in us even now. So I pray that you would renew our faith, that you renew our sense of wonder and you would give us a sense of worship for the miraculous work that you give to each and every one who you promise to make born again as we place our faith in you. God, may we marvel at your resurrection power, not because of our merit, not because of our worth, but because, Jesus, you have lived and died and been resurrected in our place. May we put our hope anew in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.